you know, when you have snow and all sorts of things going on, and you only have a handful in the building, and then you show up tonight and you look out over all these folks, I am so grateful for each and every one that is here. The singing is wonderful. Uh, as we are able to fellowship together, it is awesome. And uh, just thank everybody for being here tonight. Tonight will serve as the 11th and final lesson in our roles and qualifications and responsibilities of church leadership series. Tonight is the final. Thus far, we have discussed God's essential requirements and qualifications for elders and for elders and deacons' wives. And so tonight, We'll wrap up the series with a, dis with a, not a disqualification. We will wrap up the series with a qualification. There we go. It's discussion of the qualifications, discussion of the roles, and discussion of the responsibilities of deacons. We will eventually be in 1 Timothy, or actually you can turn there now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We will be talking about verses 8 through 10. We'll also be talking about verses 12 through 13. By way of reminder, tonight is also the final night to turn in the names of those who are prospective elders in your eyes after going down through the list. If you haven't done that already and you would like to, please do so. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, begins with these words in the New King James Version. Deacons likewise must be. We begin our lesson on the roles and qualifications of deacons. We need to first understand a couple of things about the origin and the evolution of both the Greek word from which we derive the English word deacon, as well as the job description for the work that they are to do. Again, let me say that. We need to first understand a couple of things about the origin and the evolution of the Greek word from which we derive the English word deacon as well as the job description. Both of those things evolved. We know, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, we know when the early church began that they were breaking bread, taking their meals together, sincerity and gladness of heart. Did they know everything in Acts 2 that the church would eventually know? No. Some years had to go by. They had to get more understanding. They had to get more things uh, from God that they would understand and the process continued throughout the first century. Now. We know, obviously, that once the first century was behind and all of Scripture was written, that that's what the church is supposed to be. But on the very first few days of the church, they did not know everything that they would come to know over the next few decades. So the first thing that I would like for us to understand when it comes to the origin and evolution of the term deacon. Deacon is from the Greek word diakonos. This New Testament Greek word, diakonos, occurs some 30 times in the scripture. It's not just here when it comes to what we know as deacons. The term literally means one who executes the commands of another, especially one who executes the commands of a master. This person who is a deacon is a servant, an attendant, or a minister. And we all understand we're all ministers, right? We're all servants. That's what the word means. To minister is to serve. Brother Lonnie Ritchie had this to say, though the noun diakonos, which is translated deacons in 1 Timothy 3.8, 
can be used, and again it is used 30 times or more in the New Testament, can be used in a generic sense to refer to servants of any kind, here in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8, it is clearly referring to a special class of servants in the church. This is seen from three considerations. There's three ways we know that here the word diakonos is referring to a special class of servants in the church. Number one, this is included in the section that deals with the life qualities of church elders, suggesting that these deacons are likewise church officials. Makes perfect sense. He's talking about church leaders here and, and the appointment of them. And he begins with elders. And so when he gets to deacons, it's not just talking about servants of any kind because we're all servants. We're all diakonos. But it's talking about a special class of servants because it's included in the section with elders. That's number one. Number two, the men filling this role are mentioned along with the bishops or elders and saints in Philippians 1.1. In Philippians 1.1, it mentions the bishops, which are the elders. It mentions all the other saints, and then it mentions deacons. So the deacons weren't just part of the saints. They were part of the saints, but they were set in a different category. So it wasn't just somebody that serves like all of us serve. Or else it would say to the elders and the saints in Philippi, but that's not what it says. It talks about the elders, the saints, and the deacons in Philippians 1 and verse 1. That's the second consideration. Third consideration, some of the demanding life qualities of men who will become deacons are obviously not required of every Christian. And again, this is how we can tell that he's talking about a special class. When he talks about, or, or a different category, when he talks about everyday Christians, if you will, I don't like the term, but you know what I mean. When he's talking about everyday Christians, it is not a requirement that in order to be a Christian, you have to be married, right? If it is, we got some young Christians here who are in a world of trouble, okay? But these are men who have to be married and have children. We see that in 1 Timothy 3.12. So, for these three reasons, we understand that the word deacon here is not just your everyday servant, as it were, but it's used in a special sense of a church leader, a diakonos. He goes on to say this. The words, he's talking about 1 Timothy 3, 8 in your Bibles. The words likewise, or in like manner, refer back to 1 Timothy 3, 2 and mean that just as the bishop or elder must possess certain traits of character in order to serve the church as an elder, so too must the deacon. That's why he says in 1 Timothy 3.8, just like I told you with elders need to meet certain qualifications, likewise, these men I'm about to tell you about, these deacons need to do the same thing. Though the words must be are added by the translators and are not in the original text. And by the way, in your Bibles, you can see that because typically in most translations, if a word is italicized, that means it was added for flow or it was added because of the original Greek's force, which doesn't translate well into the English language. So he says, though the words must be are added by the translators and are not in the original text, they adequately and accurately express the import of Paul's words here. 
For certainly it must be true that it is necessary for men to meet these demanding requirements in order for them to serve as deacons. These are musts, even though the words are italicized. If this were not the case, it would be superfluous for Paul to state these life qualities of church servants, and then just anybody could be appointed to that position. Again, his point is, even though the words must be are added, that must be the case, or it would be foolish to list these requirements because just anybody could be anyway. So again, you see these are requirements that are necessary. Brother Eddie Cloer, as the editor of the Red series of commentaries that we have, David Roper, who wrote it, and, and Eddie Cloer, by virtue of his leading that group, said this, a deacon or diakonos is a servant. The reference here is to one who serves in an official capacity. He is, quote, one who gets something done at the behest of a superior or he is an assistant to someone, brothers Roper and Cloer, unquote. A deacon here, although generically the term is servant, is somebody who goes and gets work done at the behest of another, at, at, the, at the command of a superior. He has a specific job that he goes and does. They are assistants to the elders. Again, brothers Roper and Cloer, and they conclude, the definition indicates that a deacon is not simply one who holds a position, but rather is one who gets something done. Remember when we talked about elders? We talked about it's not an office, it's a work. That's why if he desires that, he desires a noble work or task. Deacons the same way. Deacon, being a deacon isn't like you know, having a star on your door or being called to some office. You are, at the behest of the elders, you are the assistants, if you will, or the servants of the elders to go and take care of a specific task that needs to be done. We'll go further with that in a few minutes. Now when you consider the meaning, the context, and what the word diakonos had come to indicate by the time we get to the latter part of the first century, when we get up to Philippians and we get up to 1 Timothy, when those are penned in the latter half of the first century, diakonos, deacon, had come to be used of a specific church servant who operated at the behest of the elders and got things done. However, that's what the term had evolved into by that point. However, the origin of the term, the origin of the work, before it evolved into that, the origin can be seen back in Acts chapter 6. Some very interesting things here to say about Acts chapter 6. But you know something interesting? The word diakonos doesn't occur in Acts chapter 6, and yet it is seen as the origin of the role of deacons. Think about that. The word diakonos in the Greek does not occur in Acts 6, and yet Acts 6 is always thought of as where deacons originated, their role and responsibility. You say, well, how does that work? Let me tell you how that works. That works the same way as this. Did you know in Acts chapter 6 that the word elders doesn't occur either? And yet, the apostles were doing the work that would later become to be done by who? Elders. They didn't have elders in the Jerusalem church this early, but they had apostles who did that work. The apostles were the recognized leaders of the Jerusalem church at the time, Acts 2 through 6, 
but the, uh, the apostles were doing much of the work that would later become the responsibility of elders when the church had more fully matured several decades down the road. Does that make sense to everybody? Not only that, well, when you stop and think about it, think about what elders do. The apostles had oversight of such things as the financial contribution and the distribution of funds, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through chapter 5 and verse 2. The apostles had charge of the treasury. Who would later have charge of the treasury? Well, elders. But there's no elders in Acts 6. But that doesn't mean that some of the origin of their role is not there. In fact, it is. I'll tell you another word that does not occur in Acts 6, and that's evangelists. But yet, the apostles were doing all the preaching and teaching, Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. You know what that made them? The elders are doing all the preaching and teaching in Acts 5, 42. You know what that made them? That made them evangelists, even though the word evangelist doesn't occur there. So you see how this works in the very embryonic beginning stages of the church. Some of these terms were not there, but that work was being done. And then over the decades, it developed into what we see by the time we get to Philippians. And by the time that we get up to 1 Timothy. Now, there is no doubt that although neither the specific word elders, deacons, or evangelists occur in Acts 6, at that early stage of the church's development, those are exactly the types of roles and responsibilities that are originating there and being discussed and described. With that in mind, let's take a look at Acts chapter 6. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Seems to me I heard something about that this morning here. Then the 12, that is the 12 apostles, who were doing what evangelists and elders would later come to do, even though the word isn't there. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's not an arrogant statement. The apostles had the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. They had divine knowledge, and they understood that their primary responsibility was to take care of the spiritual and teaching needs of the church. And they said, basically, it wasn't an arrogant thing, but they said, look, it's not right for us to leave preaching and teaching and, and caring for the flock and distributing funds to go be waiters. That's not arrogant. That's just good sense because they knew what they were doing and they were taking care of the spiritual needs. They said, we can't do it. Hey, they said to the congregation, why don't you guys select seven men from among you who can do this task for us to serve at our behest, if you will. We would notice that like the apostle predecessors, elders' primary focus later on should not have to be on the lesser physical menial tasks and errands that can be assigned to other servants. Elders today need to be first and foremost able to take care of the spiritual. They need to be able to take care of feeding the flock, leading the flock, guiding the flock, protecting the flock, which we talked about last Sunday night. In order to do that, sometimes there are things that come up. Classrooms have to be painted. Materials have to be ordered. This, that, one thing or another, there's something continually that needs to be done. And it's up to the elders, if it's an ongoing task, to appoint a deacon and say, hey, 
we're going to have you take care of this for us because we need to continue to spiritually feed the flock. <clears throat> I quoted from Brother Stan Mitchell from the 2013 Spiritual Sword last Sunday night. Remember what he wrote? He said this, Elders must manifest deep concern for every member's emotional and spiritual state. This is why the task of feeding the widows, along with what, deciding what color to paint the classrooms and where to buy the grape juice should be left to other people. Does that make sense to everybody? The elders have got better things to do. All these other things you say, wait a minute, they got it. Yeah, they do have to be done, but there are certain men that can take care of those. There are certain servants that can do some of this stuff. But the elders need to be focused on the bigger things and where souls are at stake. So the apostles in Acts 6, 1 and 2, they realize this. And in their godly wisdom, what do they do? They form a plan. They say, we understand this. We need a plan. Here's our plan. Verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Don't lose the word this. We'll come right back to it. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Once again, you see the apostles then, just like elders now, have to have their priorities straight. You'll notice in verse 3, as I said, whom we may appoint over this business. And yes, I want you to remember this lesson tonight and remember that the preacher sounded like a tire with an air leak in it. This work. What do you see there? You see that deacons are called when there is a specific task to be done to take care of this specific task. That's highly important. That's what deacons are. They are men who are appointed over a specific ministry or business or task or assignment at the behest of the elders so the elders can continue to shepherd. That's what they are. Don't lose the fact that they have to have a specific task. You don't just appoint men as deacons for whatever reason and say, we hope that down the road, we're going to give you a title now, but hopefully there'll be a work to be done. That, that's not the scriptural example. The scriptural example is, hey, we got a work that needs to be done, and the congregation has faith in you, so we're going to appoint you to take care of this business right here. This is your task, your errand, your work, service, ministry. This one right here, this belongs to you. It is assigned to them, just as it was here. Just like an appointment to the eldership, an appointment to the deaconship is neither a political, popularity, or personality contest. It is not a reward for good service. It is not as a recognition medal. It's not a title, an award, or a reward given in recognition of past service or secular accomplishments or anything else. That's not what an appointment to the deaconship is. You know what an appointment to the deaconship is? It's that. An appointment to the deaconship is simply the assignment by the elders of a very specific job or physical responsibility that needs to be taken care of within the church to a very select, specific, and trustworthy brother or group of brothers who meet God's very specific list of requirements and qualifications 
for such responsibilities as outlined in scripture and have consistently proven their ability and faithfulness to get the job done to the rest of the congregation. You'd probably be better off to just take a snapshot of that if you want to or go back and watch this again and pause it. I'm gonna leave it up there a few minutes so if you want to write it down, that's fine. But the point being, that is what the deaconship or serving as a deacon comes down to. And I know that's a long sentence, but it seems to me when Paul wrote some of it, he'd get through about eight verses and you know, then the period would come. So this isn't probably that long. We see this right here in verses five and six. The saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. A couple of things to notice. Note in verse five, that just like their servant brethren, later on in the first century, who would follow them, these men had a specific list of requirements they had to meet, verse five. Later on, as we're going to see, as the work developed, this, this, this group of men to do this work in the church, they had a list of requirements too, just like elders and qualifications, starts in 1 Timothy 3.8. But their predecessors here, had a very specific list they had to meet, period. So, that kind of gives us where some of this started. Now, let's take a look at the specific list. As the first century went on and they got away from 33 AD and they began to move up, and they began to move up to the midpoint of the first century to 50 AD, and a little later on when Philippians is written by 60 AD, and when 1 Timothy is written maybe by 64 or 5 AD, let's see what this role had evolved into. Let's see what the specific list was for the men who would serve up on the latter end of the first century in what deacons had become, just like these men here served and met specific requirements in Acts 6. Please turn to me to 1 Timothy 3.8. Here's what the deaconship, which isn't a word that occurs in scripture either, but the appointment to being a deacon needed men to have as qualifications. 1 Timothy 3.8 says, Likewise, just like the elders, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Sound familiar? If you sat through these Sunday night classes on elders, some of that sound pretty familiar, don't it? Maybe that's why the word likewise is there. Similar stuff. Again, we've talked about the word must. The first thing we see in 1 Timothy 3.8 that a deacon must be is reverent according to the New King James. Now the word reverent according to the New King James is sometimes translated in other versions as worthy of respect. It has to be a man that's worthy of respect. Another version will translate it men of dignity. And guess what? This is a term we're very familiar with. This is our old Greek word friend, semnos, which we have seen and discussed before relative to it being a qualification that elders and deacons' wives must possess, according to 1 Timothy 3.11. We've already talked about this. Matter of fact, I just kind of reworked the slide. Semnos, reverent, worthy of respect. 
So I will leave it at that because we've already covered it. You can certainly go back on the live stream and see it. The second thing a deacon must be from 1 Timothy 3.8 is not double-tongued. Greek word is delogos. We know logos means word, right? D-I, like divided, it's easy to remember, delogos, double-tongued. This is the only time this word is ever seen in scripture, this Greek word, delogos. And it means saying one thing with one person and another with another with the intent to deceive. Don't you hate it when that happens? Don't you hate it when somebody will come up to you and they'll tell you one thing and they'll move over to somebody else and it's a different atmosphere and they'll say just the opposite in an attempt to deceive? I said, no, deacons cannot be delogos. They cannot be double-tongued. You know, today we might say, what term? Two-faced? Would that work? How about this one? How about chameleon Christian? You know what a chameleon is, right? Changes color depending on its environment. No delogos, no double-tongued, no, no Christian that changes his spots in his story depending on who's around. The third thing we see that a deacon must be from 1 Timothy 3.8 is not addicted to much wine. Basically the same as we covered with elders in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 3 in Titus 1.7. Pretty much the same requirement except, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute, except for the word much. Now, <clears throat> the word much in this qualification has been used quite often by those people seeking to justify the consumption of alcohol within the church. Those people, what we'd call today social drinking. Well, I'm not drunk, but I get together and party with people, I have a drink. In the Bible, because after all, the Bible says that, you know, like deacons, they're leaders of the church, they must not be addicted to much wine, but that means they can have some. And there are people that try to use this verse to justify that. All it's done is cause confusion. I was in a Bible study with a former congregation, one of the former congregations that I worked with. And we came across this. I don't think it was in a study of elders and deacons, but we came across this and Somebody raised their hand and said, look at that verse right, this is not a direct quote by any stretch, but the idea was, that means they can have some. So it's not addicted to much, but that means they can have all they want until they get to much. I wish I had the time tonight to go through all this, but I'm not going to, because I cannot do it justice. But I'll tell you somebody who can, Brother Don Blackwell, many of you have heard of Brother Don Blackwell. Don Blackwell has got a wonderful video out on the consumption of alcohol, and it's at this website right here, and I can text that to any of you. You can just freeze frame the live stream and you'll know what it is. It's on World Video Bible School, and if you want to watch the whole thing, especially our young folks, it'd be awesome. He goes through all of the different excuses people give to drink, in the church and be social drinkers, and this is one of them, and he does a marvelous job of absolutely nuking every one of them from the biblical text. It is a fabulous video, okay? However, if you're only interested in the part here where he addresses much wine when it comes to deacons, then you want to start at about the 23 minute and 33 second mark. And he goes through from 2333 to 2656. And when he boils it all down, he says, okay, if those people are right that, says, that say, 
When it says not addicted to much wine, means they can have a little. Here's what you come up with, and this is how he ends, but he supports this well. Here's how he ends. He ends with this chart. That would mean, if you go through the scriptures, that elders cannot drink, but deacons can. Older men in the church cannot drink, and he gives scriptural for this, but older women can. And deacons' wives, they can't drink. So this is the confusion it leads to. Yeah, you can have an older married couple, and <laughs> the woman can sit there and drink until she doesn't, gets right up next to having drinking too much, but the man better not touch it. That's what the Bible, no, that's not what the Bible says. But that's the craziness you get into when you want to say not addicted to much wine means you can have all you want till you get to much. And so I would simply say that deacons are not to be given to wine. And he supports that better than I could in the time I have. Fourth and final thing that we see from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 is not greedy for money. Once again, the same qualification we covered for elders in 1 Timothy 3, 3 and Titus 1, 7. It's pretty simple, straightforward. Brothers Roper and Clore say deacons should be scrupulously honest. Now, doesn't that make sense? If you have a man who's going to take care of, of anything that has to do with, oh, say the bus is over here. And he goes out and he gets a job done for the buses for 500 bucks and fudges it and tells the elders that, well, it was 700. That's not the kind of man you want for a deacon. You don't want a man who's hungry or greedy for money. Next thing we see that a deacon must be is in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 9. He must hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. The mystery. Paul often talked about the mystery. The mystery which God kept hidden from the beginning. God was giving clues as to what Jesus was going to do. But there was this mystery in it. The mystery of the faith. The faith is singular. In God's eyes, there's only one faith. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, period. Ephesians 4.4. 4. And the Bible always talks about that one faith as the faith. You're not going to see the faiths in the Bible. Did you know that whenever you see the word doctrines, plural, in the Bible, it's always in reference to man-made doctrines and not God's? You know why? Because only one doctrine. There's one faith. There's one Lord. So it must be a man who holds the mystery of the faith. That is the content of the New Testament. He must be one who is locked in on proper doctrine. He must be holding the mystery of the faith. Current tense. Maybe he didn't always. Maybe he's converted from some man-made, but you know, for the last 10 years, he's been faithful as he can be to the truth. Okay. Current tense. Deacons need to get a firm grip on the truth and never let go. Never hold on to it tight. And then as a result of knowing it and believing it and living it, they will have a pure conscience. Let me ask you a question. If you do everything you can to live by the word of God and you pray to God to forgive you where you fall short, do you have a pure conscience? Do you? Yeah, that's what it's talking about. Verse 10, 1 Timothy 3. But let these also first be tested and let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Brothers Roper and Clore chime in with this. One test is whether or not they are holding to the mystery of the faith. Another is to ask, are they already using their talents for the master? I think that's good. Remember we said elders need to be men who are already doing some of this stuff? Shows they want the, the work, they, they like the work, they want to do the work. Deacons should be the same thing. Now they're not going to be assigned that task until they're deacons, but they're men who try to take care of things as they arise in the church. 
Brothers Roper and Clore go on to say an important test is, determine, is to determine if they are individuals who could work with and under the elders. That's, that's another good <laughs> test. The specific test mentioned in verse 10 is to determine that they are blameless or above reproach. Hey, wait a minute, I've heard that before. Where have I heard must be blameless or above reproach? I'll tell you where I heard it. The very first qualification of an elder. In fact, some say in 1 Timothy 3, 2, as we covered when we were there, where it says an elder must be above reproach or blameless, that that's really the only qualification and all of the rest of the qualifications are just branches off of that tree that he is blameless. He's blameless in his family, he's blameless on his job, he's blameless here, he's blameless there. This is like that. He must be blameless. That is above legitimate reproach. Because here's the thing. There's always going to be somebody that's going to have something to say about somebody. He must be above legitimate reproach. It, it above reproach that will stick. It refers to elders, it refers to deacons having a good reputation. A deacon needs a good reputation inside and outside the church. Young folks, said it before and I'll say it again. I don't care if you're 10, 12, 14, 16, or any of the odd numbers that I skip. Odd numbers are fine too. You are already building your reputation. Who you are. You're already building it. Can people count on you to do what you say you will do? What kind of person are you? Because you at 15 or 17, I'm choosing odd numbers now, 15 or 17 or 19, when you become 45 or 50, you're going to have established a reputation. But it starts now. People look at you and say, oh yeah, I know that. Who do you, where do you go to church? Well, I go up Shoto Hills. Well, I wonder if I know anybody that goes there. Uh, well, there's this brother, oh no, I ain't going there. Brother so-and-so goes there. Or, wow! Well, well, I've known that person all my life and they are one of the most honest, straightforward, hardworking, kindest, keep their word kind of people. Got any more people like that up there? I'd like to really come and visit. You're already doing that when you're in junior high. You're establishing your reputation Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be desired rather than gold or rubies. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their households well. Like the elders, these must be men that are scripturally married, and these must be men who are recognized as the Christian spiritual loving leaders and heads of their households, period. Verse 13, and I go rather fast there because we've covered that. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. A deacon's work is often mundane, drudgery, I mean, Sometimes it can get to be maybe a little boring. And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul included this word of encouragement for deacons. The word good or high standing most likely has to do with being highly respected in both the congregation and the community. Did you know that Timothy was a well-respected young man? Acts chapter 16 and verse 2 when Paul decided to take him with him. He was a respected young man and so to obtain a good or a high standing most likely has to do with elder uh, deacons who serve well 
are respected for that. Let me ask you a question. Don't nod, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Just think about it. Those deacons who have served long and hard and done their jobs well in this congregation through the years, do you respect them? Sure you do. You'd ought to if you don't. And they obtain great boldness in the faith. The more they work for God, the more they work under the elders, the more the elders entrust to them, the, the more that, that they do the task assigned to them and lead their home as they grow in the faith, guess what happens to them? They, they begin to get bolder and bolder in the faith. And finally, verses 14 and 15 say this. We often leave this out, and, and I don't know why, because it's the next words that Paul wrote, and it's so important to the whole message here. This kind of wraps it up. Let's not leave out verses 14 and 15. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write to you. He said, the reason I'm writing this, including what I just told you, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Brethren, I've said it throughout this study. These qualifications as an elder are what every young man and young woman to be an elder or a deacon or an elder or deacon's wife in the congregation had ought to start early on very early on in trying to be. He said, the reason I'm writing you is so you'll know how you ought to behave. What's he just got done saying? This is the cream of the crop behavior right here. Here's what you need for leaders. This is what y'all ought to be trying to get to. Every last one of you. This is how you ought to conduct yourself. The qualities and requirements listed in verses 1 through 13 form the code of conduct which every member of the body of Christ ought to be striving to attain to maintain as applicable. Verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy 3, as well as verse 11, list the essential requirements and qualifications that our elders, current elders, are going to have to make sure or obvious in the men and women who will shortly become our new elders and their wives. While verses 8 through 13 list the essential requirements and qualifications, that our elders are going to be looking for in any whom they might have a work that needs somebody appointed to do in the future, as well as their wives. And the question is tonight, how are you doing? Whether you're 15, 18, 20, 40, 60, how are you doing with these qualities? To people around you, see Christ in you in these ways. If you're a Christian, somebody who's been baptized into Christ and you need some help attaining these qualities, you need some prayers and you know you're weak in some of these areas, but you really wanna be a better Christian. If you need the prayers of the church, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're somebody who's not even been baptized into Christ yet. You know, here's the beauty. The younger, with the knowledge to do so, of course, but the younger that you are baptized into Christ when you understand all of that that entails, do you know this? The younger you get started, the more years that you have to learn about and glorify God. I only wish that I had become a Christian instead of in my mid-20s. I wish I had been brought to church and known about Jesus and I could have gotten a 10-year head start. I'd, I, that would have been really cool. 
serve the Lord even longer. If you're here and you've never been baptized, but you understand what that means, we'd love to baptize you tonight. Or I said, as I said, if you've already started that journey, we'd love to pray for you to be stronger. If there's anything we can do for you tonight to help you be closer to God and stronger in Christ, please come to the front right now as we stand and as we sing.